Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 16. Eddie takes on the Grand National. Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Maybe I should call it Soup Juicians because I've been no. watching a... No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, there is no way anyone's getting called a Soup Juician. That is, that is just an off-putting concept. It's, it's, it's a nice term of endearment, Soup Juician. I'd be very I angry say if soup- someone called me that in the street. Would you rather soup juicy in or soft brain? <laughs> I actually think I would rather soft brain. Uh, well, I say soup juicy in because that is in reference to our other fictional podcast, Soup Juice, where we talk all things food. And the new show I've been watching, well, not new, but new for me, is The Great British Bake Off. I have found that it's one hour long, which is exactly the amount of time I like to do on the fat chariot at the gym. So I go to, I go on my elliptical machine. I put Wait. on the great British bake off and I go to town. Wait, who calls it a fat chariot? <laughs> so I call it a fat chariot because when we were at Penn state, there was a wrestler who would call it a fat chariot because if you ever went to the gym, everyone on the elliptical would be like the severely overweight people that were barely moving the machine. Like it was the machine they would see and be like, oh, that looks really easy. Let me get on that thing. <laughs> so he always called it the fat chariot. I think it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, yeah. And you wonder why so many people get body confidence issues going to the gym. <laughs> Look at that fat loser trying to lose weight. Oh, just just give up and go home and eat a packet of Doritos. <laughs> but I have to say, I've watched about a half a season so far, uh, and I rather enjoy it. So I've never I've never understood the appeal. I have to say it's addictive. See, so I like baking shows. So I always watch like Food Network has a ton of different types of like baking challenge okay, shows. I don't get the interest in a baking show. Of all the forms of cooking, baking to me is both the least interesting to actually do yourself and the least interesting to watch because it is a lot of mixing and then sticking something in an oven like versus other cooking contests where like you're at least cutting something up is, or trying to balance things. But it is no, very but- precise baking, right? About the mixture being precise, the temperature being precise, the consistency being precise, whereas... Chicken wings. I mean, you just <laughs> you just slather them in a sauce. Well, I don't know why these are my two options. Them. I either watch someone bake a cake or yeah. watch someone make chicken wings. Yeah, that's it. That's well, it. Well, you're doing the same thing by saying bake a cake. I mean, they're baking like five layer meringue cakes with three different fillings inside. I mean, they're very technical things. It's not like there's like not, make not, a make a funfetti cake with icing. <laughs> I'm not claiming that I could just sit down and do exactly what they do. I'm not denying that there's obvious skill involved in it, but I don't understand. It is fundamentally watching someone mix ingredients 
and then the actual decorating of the cake i can understand like that process kind of interesting to watch someone either put it together or go through the decoration but everything up until that point it's just watching someone stir things into a bowl and then pour things into sort of you know molds again it's like you're most... simplifying it so much but i, I think, think that's pulling I... you're pulling the heart and love from baking yeah by just saying it's a guy with a whisk but but i also think that's kind of why i like it because i think it's more technical scientific based like experimental based where every ingredient the exact amount you put in matters the amount like you whip it matters the temperature matters and to me that's more closely related to science so i think that's why i enjoy it oh, i like baking do this. so much more no 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 but i'm not going to get the spin that baking is like the science of cooking and this it is, is. Like, it absolutely I mean, is Look, you could, we could get into whole long debates about people who take like very scientific pro approaches to like other culinary formats. Like, yeah, but, but baking is notorious for having to need like the exact amount of an ingredient and then having it at, like the exact temperatures. Sort no, of. it's not sort of. So, look, I made of. banana bread and I. <laughs> oh, you made banana bread. Okay. Oh. No, no, no. But, but, no, no, no. I'm A thousand apologies, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying that. The oh. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you made banana bread. No, stop, like, the, stop the press. Okay, I'll go this. I made a meringue and done a meringue based on just eye test, not measuring things, and it's fine. So you knew that what was needed in the meringue then yeah, I read the improvised recipe. or okay. So I you didn't did just get some idea of measurement. I just didn't speculate. I didn't just go, <laughs> feels like seven eggs. <laughs> I think these cloves will go really well in this. <laughs> hmm, maybe this piece of beef. I think that will go in well. <laughs> beef meringue. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, mine. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say what that's a nickname <laughs> for. <laughs> Like the friend's beef trifle. It's fair to say that uh, Sam has not seen a beef meringue in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> not seen meringue in a long time. I hate it. I hate the, the texture of it. The, ugh, it's gross. We Can't discussed this when I picked pavlova as my dessert for my perfect master's menu. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I love meringues. I like meringues. I think they're pretty good. But yeah, so I've, I've been watching that and I've enjoyed it so far. But one of the things that came out of it that intrigued me, I think it was the episode or two before I watched, the guy had on like this really crazy looking shirt. And the woman said, I keep thinking to see where's Wally. And I said, like, what the hell is she talking about? Where's Wally? And then I realized in the UK, it's called Where's Wally. I never knew that. Yeah. And then the States, Wal it's called it's Where's Waldo. Waldo. Yeah. yeah. I thought she just severely messed it up and I had to look it up and then realize I like that to me is one of those things that I don't understand. They were done at the same time. So why make one one and one the other? Is it is it a British thing or an American thing? It's it's, it's the guy American. is British. No, I think the guy's British. What I read on Wikipedia was that he's British, but they published it at the same time. So like he called it Where's Wally? And then when they went to publish it in America, they changed it to Where's Waldo? I didn't really get that. Is Wally like, not derogatory, but you would call someone a Wally for doing something like stupid, wouldn't you? 
So is that what it is in the U.S.? So that would no, it has no, that it doesn't have that meaning in the U.S. It's kind of weird because fundamentally, Wally is the more not that either of the names are common, but you're more likely to meet someone whose name is like Wallace and goes by Wally. I've never met a Waldo. I have met no. someone who goes by Wally. I wonder if it came out around the same time as the original Vacation movie with Wally World. And there was some like copyright infringement. Now, I guess we could talk because people love to get their breaking news from this podcast because they will have seen it nowhere else between when this was recorded, then edited, then released. And then they, Ten decide, days later. To to, <laughs> and then they decide to listen to it. <laughs> it's exciting we, for us. We have to address the fact that uh, Tiger Woods today has been in a car accident. We don't know how serious it is yet, apart from the fact that he's current currently undergoing surgery supposedly but had a car and he was ripped out by the jaws of life <laughs> so it had to well, be pretty serious. no 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 he no 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 he wasn't ripped out by the jaws of life <laughs> like, oh he was just... ripped out by jaws the shark they brought the yeah. shark in to rip him out <laughs> i mean that's you've got to think that's probably the end of his career right i mean to, to, to have surgery of multiple leg injuries the rehabilitation time, the age that he is, you've got to think that that's, if it is serious, I, I guess having some sort of quick surgery probably means it is. You've got to think that that's a very sad way for such a great golfer to go. Yeah, I mean, his his sex career is definitely over. He'll still be an okay <laughs> golfer, but... <laughs> I mean, have to hope that... Because obviously, given his troubles with substance abuse... The fact that he managed to flip a car at 7.30 in the morning in a single car accident makes you a little bit concerned that some other factors may be may have been at play. So hopefully, for, not that it matters for whether or not he ends up being fine, but let's hope, first of all, that it was caused by some freak set of circumstances and not by him being drunk or high. Uh, I did like that Barstool, and one of our just, big... You just think right to the worst of people. <laughs> well, look, if you if, if you don't think when someone's when someone's already had one of the worst mugshots in the history of celebrity mugshots and been pulled over for just off his tits, and then he manages at seven thirty in the morning to flip a car, and you don't think were were substances at play here? Like. Well, he's a professional golfer, though, so he's got to be up early, right? If he's going to go practice. Okay, that explains why he's awake at yeah, 7.30. That, that explains no, to... the rationale for the decision. <laughs> I wasn't having trouble imagining well, Tiger Woods out Move over, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming you're saying he's basically all-nighted it, and he's just, like, driving home or something. That's oh. your backstory. Yeah, no, I mean, I, he could have been, I might also think that he's deep into his abuse again, and he's waking up in the morning and pumping himself full of whatever he's taking. But, and like, I don't want to have like horrible speculation. And then it turns out he dies. And there's this, this recording of me being like, I bet he took drugs. But, uh, but it, you can't help but let your mind go there a little bit. It doesn't matter. Like, even if he did because it's only him involved right there's the only thing you had concern for is him being okay and then obviously as a golf fan you hope that this isn't the end like he doesn't his career doesn't end 
because of a car accident and he doesn't get to kind of try and play some more tournaments. I mean, he's currently 50th in the world ranking right now. So <laughs> it might not, not get much better. <laughs> not far off his age, right? So that's not bad. The I did like, speaking of people who have put their foot in their mouth when it comes to this accident, Barstool, one of our big competitors, we're, we're catching them quickly, but they're still slightly ahead of us at this point. Uh, one of their bigger, more prominent uh, figures tweeted immediately, obviously, after hearing about this hoax city population one Tiger Woods, obviously thinking that it's one of one of those like made up celebrity stories like Tiger Woods in car accident. And so he's made that and then like, ah, it turns out it's true. Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> Somehow made it all about him in that respect as well. It's interesting that you say that, though, about you kind of default to something that has taught them before. Because I remember us mentioning this with like when Harry Maguire was caught uh, and obviously had that issue in Greece, where it's like once someone does something bad and it gets to the media and is represented in the media, whatever happens after that, you're kind of going to think it's related to that. And I, I don't think celebrities can kind of ever escape that problem. Um, which is kind of interesting, I guess, because, you know, immediately it might have just been a freak accident in a car, yet you default to drink and drugs more so than a freak accident. I don't think that's limited to celebrities, though. I think that'd be true of people. The difference is that not everyone knows those intimate details about you, right? So if you were in a car accident and and some random person just stumbled across you, they wouldn't go, this guy looks like he has al- like he's an alcoholic. I bet you that's why he's flipped his car. That being said, I still think if you flip your car at 7.30 in the morning, people are going to be a little bit suspicious. I just think there's it's a little bit of an odd move. But you know, if, if we knew that you, as we've kind of joked about on the podcast previously, but if we knew you were just drinking all day, every day, and then one day I get a text message being like, Sam's been in a pretty bad car accident at seven in the morning. He managed to flip his car with no other cars involved. I might be like, I think there's a chance Sam might've been drinking. (laughs) I love your, like, like Frank mentioned, I love the immediate default to the lack of sympathy. (laughs) That doesn't make yeah. me unsympathetic. That's the thing is I could, I could, well, sure sounds like, it. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to oh, say like, prayers, before thoughts you, and prayers, thoughts and prayers, but probably self-inflicted. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not thoughts implying. Thoughts and prayers, you fucking drunk. <laughs> I'm not implying. No, I'm not, Im, I'm not Have implying. Have another beer, crashy. I'm not saying, hey, breathalyze him before you put him in the ambulance. And if he blows over like a certain amount, just leave him on the side of the road. He doesn't deserve it. He's done this to himself. That's not what I'm saying. I'd still hope for you to recover fully and that to overcome your issues. But I would be like, no, we all know why Sam might have flipped his car. There it is. It's going to happen at some point. At some point during like my recovery or the day or the immediate aftermath, you're going to make some wise crack about alcoholism. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'd probably come to your hospital and just like set up like one of those Jaeger machines in your hospital room. What, like a drip? Like a Jaeger drip. <laughs> yeah. See if we can plug your IV. So you can get that. The yeah, shot so you can like, Every time you just want a tiny little shot. <laughs> so some more live updates. The Jaws of Life were not used. They corrected the previous Fake statement. News. They were not used. 
And apparently Tiger was staying at a hotel where a major network television show was being shot. Production sources said when the director arrived just before seven, Tiger was driving his SUV so fast as he was leaving the property, he almost hit the director's (laughs) car. The director was shaken enough to tell production staff about it after he parked. Okay, not a good sign. There was the Bachelor or something. What is it being filmed? A, uh, I think it said Gronish. Oh. Well, a crew member who saw Tiger said as he got into his SUV at the hotel, uh, well, once he got into the vehicle, there was a delay in driving off and he appeared very agitated and impatient and took off fast. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be concerned there too, right? Because given everything that's, that Tiger Woods has done and all of the stories he's been caught up in his life, whatever he had to get away from quickly in that hotel could not have been good. <laughs> yeah, this just gives so many more questions. So was he also like shooting in the TV show or was he just staying there and he was pissed that like they were making a lot of noise to shoot the show or something? Oh, it's a sp- we should just live stream this for the next yeah, 10 it's hours. It's a spinoff of Blackish. <laughs> I've never heard of this show. Yeah, it's uh, ABC, I think, or something like that. Whenever I think of Tiger Woods, though, in these kind of scenarios, I just think of that South Park episode with the new EA Tiger Woods game, <laughs> where he's just getting beaten up by his um, ex-wife and just trying to like run away from her. <laughs> now, I will say this. Tiger Woods actually brings me on to a larger topic that I wanted to discuss. And we can keep Tiger Woods in mind for this debate, but it's really on the back of Djokovic winning the Australian Open on Sunday, which was his ninth Australian Open, his 18th Grand Slam, which puts him two behind Nadal, two behind Federer. So kind of going to be an interesting race towards the end of their careers to see which of them retires with the most Grand Slam victories. But... Are we living in the greatest era of sports when you have, when you consider that you have Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, let's go in a 20 year window. You've got, you had Tiger Woods, arguably the greatest golfer of all time. Undoubtedly, one of those three is the greatest tennis players of all time. You have Tom Brady, who's the greatest quarterback of all time. You have Messi and Ronaldo, who probably the greatest footballers of all time. You kind of, if you go across most of the major sports, You've got LeBron James, who enters the argument as the greatest basketball player of all time. You kind of, so A, are we living in the greatest era? If we are, is that just because sports will always get continuously better? Like 20 years from now, will that be the greatest era? Or is it the introduction? So kind of got a few options for you. One is that it will always just keep getting better. Two is that it's just like recency bias and it's actually no better now than it was 50 years ago. It's just we can't remember most of the people from 50 years ago. And so we've kind of just forgotten them. The other option is that we've kind of the professionalism of sports and the improvement of medicine and uh, awareness when it comes to you know nutrition has meant that the kind of cross-section of that, we've reached the kind of pinnacle of what humankind can achieve if you see what i mean like we're not going to get bigger faster stronger after this point what are your thoughts i think you're always gonna believe that what you live in is 
the greatest um unless it's like world war ii kind of time <laughs> when of course most things wouldn't apply but i think when you grow up in the moment you see those kind of daily moments and you see those weekly things and it paints that picture that this can't have been better previously but you know take football for example you had messi ronaldo but previously you had pele maradona and so football's always had those kind of like ones and twos not in the know, same that- era though Van Basten was in that era. Like there was still a really, really good in that twenty-year crop, as you've just said. Yes. Well, I mean, you, Pele and Maradona. You're talking about a forty-year window there. Okay, like Van Basten would be another one. Look, Look I'm not saying there were no good just, players. Just keep, yeah, just keeping going. Then you've got like Jack Nicklaus. Um, Wait, who? <laughs> Jack Nicklaus. Ah, uh, Jack Nicklaus. <laughs> that <laughs> famous. What was he? A, was he like Nicklaus. a? Was he? Was he a skier? Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about? He Eddie. dominated the slopes in 1929. <laughs> no, but you also had like a really good golfing period at one point. I, I don't know. I just feel like when we look back, we have these famous names, and we're just living through it at the moment. And then in 20 years' time, 30 years' time people are going to be having the same debate and they'll say that, I don't know, like Holland and Mbappe were the best in football. And, you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes is the new Brady because he's won X amount of Super Bowls. I just think it's always going to catch up and there's always going to be a new crop. And I just think with another thing as well as like the, the media aspect of it, I think that because there's way more exposure, it's a lot easier to have these people like in the, in your thought process daily with things like Instagram, with things like live sport, whereas our previous generations weren't that kind of lucky to have that. Yeah. I, so I think there's a few things. So the first thing is to say we're in the greatest era of sport is tough because what are you defining as an era? Because if you think Tiger Woods won his first major in 1997, so that's already a 25 year window. So that's a long time. But I'm so you're saying like, like a 30-year window? No, 20 years, because obviously Tiger Woods didn't retire in 97. So, okay, he didn't debut in, in, in the last 20 years, but he hit his prime in the last 20 years. Okay. I, I all, mean, of the, all of the players I mentioned were had their prime moments as athletes in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years. Yeah, I, I mean, I think some of it is recency bias, because I think if you just step back 10 years, you would say, Peyton Manning was the greatest QB of all time. Does he consider this generation too or not? Well, yeah, <laughs> you're only going back like 10 years ago. He, he only but, came into the NFL in like what? 1997 or 1998. Yeah. But you'd say his prime, like, yeah, his prime was the mid 2000s. Okay. I, I think it's a little bit of recency bias, but I do think right now you're in a potential sweet spot for sports where there's enough advancements in technology to make athletes obviously better than the previous generation. But I think the other thing that is going to impact it is they grew up in an age of less social media. And I think public awareness of them, of people being aware of them as athletes Whereas the next generation is going to be under such a microscope that I think it's going to affect them more mentally. And they're not going to be able, like, for instance, the, 
I don't think you'll ever have a person like Tiger Woods again, who was able to have this notorious sex scandal for what, 10, 15 years while also being the world's best golfer. That's never going to happen again. No one's going to be able to have that type of thing go on for that long. It's going to be found out within a year. It'll be found out within a year and they'll be done. Frank, Scarlett Johansson's out there taking part in gangbangs <laughs> in Paris, and that's not in the news. So I think she's not an athlete. <laughs> so I think you can still, if you if you do it the right way, you can still keep those things quiet. You know, I mean, I even look at like even some of the little things that have happened would have never been big issues. You know, like uh, when who is it, Foden and uh, was it Sancho that got oh, kicked well, off the England Greenwood. team? No. Oh, Greenwood, Greenwood, Mason Greenwood. Like, you know, like even little things like that, that it probably will affect them. And if they keep doing that, they'll be done after like the third time that happens where as who knows, you know, what a lot of these athletes were doing back in the day that no one was ever aware of and no one cared about. Like, I think you could even argue Michael Jordan's gambling problems. If you did that nowadays, every night there'd be like social media and Instagram posts about like, look what Michael Jordan was doing. And it, I think it might affect them and not allow them to just be an athlete. He got a fair amount of flack for his gambling stuff. Books written about him, constant newspaper articles, 60 minutes, news pieces. Like, yeah, but imagine how many videos there probably would have been if there were cell phone cameras. Like of him like berating a dealer or like getting pissed at another player and screaming at them. See, I actually, well... No, see, I think that would never have happened because, like, t- I mean, it's a bit specific, right? But Michael Jordan's argument about why he loved gambling in that way was because it was escapism. Because when you sit down at a poker table for $2 million, no one cares who you are. Like, the only goal of that person who's playing with you at that moment when the stakes are that high is to just win at poker. And so, like, he found that that was the only time in his life he could kind of level the playing field. So I still think in the... Now, if he'd grow, if he'd been 18, 19 with not a ton of money trying to go to casinos every night, I mean, that's James Harden. He goes to strip clubs every single night. People talk about the fact that like there's that chart that people did where they tracked the James Harden's performances when he's in a city with a strip club rated over like 4.5 or whatever on Yelp. And his if he has like stays there the night before his his average points per game drops significantly like you can track his performance based on strip club club locations like I still think you could do it you would just have to you'd have to think carefully about what you were doing but I still think you could do it you could be a total degenerate if you wanted to here's a question do you think there's a sport that's regressed in this golden age would you say there's so you you've mentioned you know fair argument with all of these players and uh sports people but do you think there's a sport that you would say has fundamentally gone backwards since i guess a 20 year window now you're looking at the 90s really you know is there a sport that's gone backwards compared to what it was in the 90s baseball no more steroids yeah that's kind of what's cut that off i mean baseball yeah Baseball definitely isn't as good now as there. And some of that's tied to star power, right? So maybe some of these players are as talented or as, I mean, like Trout, people argue is the greatest baseball player of all time. So I guess you have that, but they don't, baseball players as a whole don't have the same story. I mean, ice hockey, Gretzky still regarded right as the greatest hockey player of all time. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, you are now looking though, 
yeah, I, I mean, Connor McDavid is supposedly the next Gretzky and he's just hitting the prime of his career. So, you know, you could also make the argument, let's wait 15 years and see how his career turns out. And he could end up beating Gretzky. I mean, still very unlikely because he's so young, but I mean, you have a person there now who is regarded as the next Gretzky. Actually, the one you raised is an interesting point, and I'd like to get your thoughts specifically on that. So if we just kind of bring the golden age of sport down to the golden age of tennis, which I don't think many people can probably deny that this isn't right now with the three, three and a half with the kind of Murray flurry that there was. Um, yeah, it's, it's, generous, it's generous to Andy Murray, but yeah. yeah. Um, which one would you say? Because I have more sympathy for Federer being the greatest of the three just because of the, the he's won them all right where there's some or have they all won have they won every grand slam now all three of them yes yeah yeah they've all went off for i don't know why i have a sympathy for federer but i think that is a really close three in I would say this is like a golden age of tennis, right? The last decade, 15 years or so. But curious what you think on that one, given Djokovic's recent win. So I think Djokovic will retire with the most just because uh, like, I would be surprised almost if Federer wins another. So he's on 20, but Nadal's on 20 as well. So I would say almost certainly Nadal gets by him. And then you have Djokovic on 18. Not that the number that they win equates perfectly to who was the best but Federer will lose out with that argument which is going to hurt him a bit in terms of legacy I think Federer is probably the best player out of the three of them in terms of all-around game Nadal kind of gets an edge in the sense that like Nadal's dominance on clay is the is it's the most dominant any tennis player has ever been on any surface right so there's an argument there where I mean, I, I say it to Frank, like there's nothing, if you wanted to bet your life on anything ever, bet it on like Nadal to win a match at the French Open is like the safest thing in the world. Like, it's it's legitimately safer than than most things you could ever imagine being, you know, dead yeah, certainties. I mean, it's, because people always talk about, you know, the recent thing with Tom Brady and the percentages of Tom Brady going to the Super Bowl and percentage of Tom Brady, like, like it's better than this and that and this. But what are, the, what are the percentages of Nadal winning the French Open? I mean, you want to talk about crazy. That's insane. You know, that's almost, you, you can't even comprehend how successful he is at it. But I want to play devil's advocate here. Are you looking at the greatest age of tennis or are you looking at the worst age in tennis where there's only three good players and everyone else is subpar, including all these future generations that are supposed to be so great that no one has stepped up in the past 15 years to challenge them. Well, so, so there is a definite concern in terms of the future generation that each one of these players would have, in terms of winning them at a later stage of their careers, where traditionally tennis players, you were done at 30, like that 10, 15 years ago was the case. Part of that's just improvements in awareness about nutrition and training and the travel circumstances and all of that. But definitely the fact that there's been no single player or a couple of players who stepped forward to kind of end their era has definitely helped them. What I will say is I, I was said to Sam, it was generous to throw Murray into the ring 
with those three, but it's also doing him a disservice to not to say that like over the last 15 years, they haven't had any challengers because in different eras, Andy Murray would have won a lot more tournaments. Vavrinka would have won a lot more. You know, there's a host of players who had they played in at, in any other time would have been world number ones for considerable lengths of time. So that's actually what I was going to ask. Like Wolverine is a, a great example, right? He's won three uh, grand slams, right? I think. Yeah. Do you, so you, you honestly think you put him 30 years before he's a world number one and has win wins seven, eight grand slams. Well, then you have 30 years before legacy legacy. 30 years before might be tough. Cause now you're sticking him into McEnroe Connors, uh, like back end of Bjorn Borg. Like, if you told me, if he but came then it doesn't that kind of say that there isn't great competition for these for these top three right now? Then if you took who would be their major competition and put him in another error and he's still not that great, I think you if know, you like I think put it this way, Vavrinka would be a top five six player in any era. So that's saying that you've got decent competition. Andy Murray would be a top three four player in any era. And at some times would have been the greatest player of that generation. So I remember the the, the the tennis thing's interesting though, because obviously you had the Sampras Agassi era, um, well era time, and then when Federer came on, a lot of people were like, "Now he's beaten Sampras's um, Grand Slams. No one's going to do it again." And then immediately, it's just going to happen you know with Nadal we'll probably get one more Djokovic will get a couple more at least so is it just inevitable with tennis that there's always going to be there never really seems to be as much plurality within tennis there always seems to be your top three four or five that will do everything or basically everything no I think that's where we're not appreciating that's the danger to me and it's kind of why I bring up Ari in in the greatest era of sport of all time is to not appreciate fully just how incredible it is what's being achieved. And for three players to have won as many Grand Slams as they have in an era where three other players, like you had to consider for both Djokovic and Federer to have won as many as they have when Nadal has basically swept the French Open. So they've won 20 in a time when they basically only play, like only have a chance of winning three a year. So just think of it from that perspective. It will take you seven years to get to where they are, even if you were perfect, basically elsewhere. And that's a pretty long tennis career to be at the top of your game. So when you really think about it, like already this next generation of players, the likes of Dominic Team, Zverev, even Medvedev, they can't get to 20. Like they, they're already too old to have not won several grand slams to now try and get to that, that number of wins. They'd have to have seasons. They'd have to have multiple seasons in a row where they won all four, and you're just not going to do that. So there's only one current player under 30 in top 10 in total prize money in tennis. Do you want to guess who it is? I'd say it's Zverev. Because he's not. Then Dominic Team. Team. Yeah, Team. Yeah, I mean, look, and and this is the other thing is, and he's twenty seven. We'll, <laughs> yeah, and he's not young. Maybe we'll see when some of those players, when you know, Federer is totally gone, when Nadal's gone. You know, like those players are obviously going to be able, like Team, 
has been an unlucky loser to Nadal on several occasions, right, in the French Open. In any other era, a team would have won the French Open a couple of times already. So, you know, you've got the greatest clay court player of all time standing in your way. It's a little bit tough. Um, I also saw this the other day because when they were talking about Holland and Mbappe taking on the crown from uh, Ronaldo and, and Messi, I saw a stat and I can't, I don't have it at hand and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was if, for example, if Mbappe wants to have the score, the same number of goals as Ronaldo currently has, it's something like that Mbappe would have to score 45 goals a year for the next 15 years. And then for Holland, it's like 38 goals a year for the next 18 years or something. And when you just think about it, it's, it's so unattainable. It's insane. Because then you also think about how well like Lewandowski's done at Bayern Munich. Yeah, he's not even considered in anywhere near that in a way. He's almost like that best of the rest kind of category. But no one really comes close to these two. So that's pretty, I assume that's club and country. Or is that just a... Kind of I think club? that was just club goals, I think. But wow. um, I... Even had Ronaldo's Portuguese goals. <laughs> like that would be crazy. The the stat I saw in favor of them though, kind of rising up was most Champions League goals before right now they put it at twenty third birthday because that's right where Mbappe is close to. And he currently sits second behind Messi. Messi had twenty five goals by the time he was twenty three. Mbappe has twenty four and Haaland has eighteen. I think I I'd actually say that Haaland's is more impressive at 18 because he's doing it for Dortmund, whereas Mbappe... Playing less games probably too. PSG. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. I actually think that 18 is probably more impressive. Yeah, I mean, he scored a few Champions League goals when he was at Salzburg before the Dortmund move, but yeah, it's not... It's doing it on a team that isn't quite as good. So he's having to carry the team more than Mbappe does on a week-in, week-out basis. So another curveball into this kind of greatest era of sport is do you think that there's like a nationality bias to people thinking that it's the greatest era? So I might be doing people a disservice that they're like, no, it's not the greatest era because my country isn't doing well or it's not generating a good crop of people. But so Americans haven't really had any sort of recent dominance within tennis since the kind of Sam Press Agassi, even even the thought process behind like Andy Roddick, for example. Uh, do you think they might be less considering that this is the greatest era of tennis, even though they can see it? Like everyone can see this awesome. And just thinking in terms of things oh. like cricket as well, like would the Australians be saying that the this 20 years has been the greatest or would they be thinking that, you know, the, the Steve War, Mark War, Gilchrist team of the 90s was the greatest still still slips in like this is that's where it's tough right do i do i count shane warren for example and mattia mullerithrin in the last 20 years they both played um i would say that test match cricket is an example of a sport that has declined undoubtedly the overall standard of test cricket there are players out there who are still in you know the likes of steve smith Joe Root, uh, you know, Virat Kohli, you have players who 
might be putting themselves in amongst the very best of all time. But I would say overall, the sports is not as, as good as it was in, say, the late 90s, or early 2000s. I think there's English... a lot of draws in Test cricket now. Yeah, that's just because people play more aggressively. And, and fundamentally, I think, to a large part, have forgotten how to play Test match cricket. So you get people coming in thinking, hey, all you need to do is not get out over the next hour. And the first thing they do is attempt, you know, an audacious reverse slog sweep and get caught on the boundary. And you just think, and he tells, well, I would have really changed the mentality if I'd hit him for six yeah. a few times. Though your point's interesting, because I would say, if we're going to say, so going back to that nationality thing, I'd say the ashes over the last 20 years has been way more interesting because it's been more competitive and it's yeah, because had, England, and it's England, to some of the best finishes. So that's where you, your, your talk of bias, right, is correct. Because, for example, I'm sure most England cricket fans would feel like test match cricket has improved dramatically because in the 90s you were just watching England get thumped by Australia in every test match, consistently even losing to the West Indies, South Africa, everyone. So from going maybe the fourth from the fourth or fifth best test playing nation to now consistently first or second you'd think oh yeah obviously test match cricket's got better but then you look at the west indies who've just fallen off an absolute cliff and you're talking about like one of the greatest cricketing nations of all time and most people can't even name a current west indies test match cricketer it makes it a little bit tough yeah yeah I'm trying to think of other sports where that would be a... Well, Ed, Ed, Eddie also did a disservice to the United States by not mentioning Serena Williams. No, I, well, I did a disservice. Also, I know it, it comes across also as um, a little bit sexist because, yes, Serena Williams is undoubtedly the greatest female tennis player of all time. And then if you try and get into the like, non-gender specific debate of who the greatest tennis player of all time, she's even in that mix. So... Yes, if you and she obviously falls within my twenty-year window, even though she started slightly before. So, again, you'd have to consider her. If we think about the greatest tennis era, you have the you have definitely the greatest men's player and the greatest women's player coexisting. Got me thinking now about like other sports where I could see because the thing with I guess athletics is a tough one because are you looking for the kind of names that carry that? speciality or is it the fact that times always keep getting beaten and is it like the consistency of world record times that does it like would you say we're in the greatest era because of phelps with swimming when it comes to like swimming it's no i think that stuff always is going to progress like there's they have done those studies with the 100 meter dash right that it's like it has a continual progression in the in the decrease in time due to technology and things like that so i think sports like that I think that's just because of the era you're in and, and advances in technology and things like that. I mean, I think that will hit a point where it'll stop. I mean, you're seeing it now kind of in golf, right? Where they've gotten so advanced with some of the clubs and the balls that they're kind of pulling it back a little bit. So, you know, maybe some of those sports will hit a limit on how advanced you can get with, you know, like your swimsuit and things like that. But we had that in swimming, right? They banned the shark suit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know you can't wear that fin, right? That looks like a shark when you're swimming. God. <laughs> <laughs> just this absolute joker, like representing some random nation, <laughs> just going around shark swimming for people. Like, well, like when that guy in the 
Lockkey or whatever his name is, right? No, he not, would be the one who does it. Not, not Ryan Lochte. I, th- I was thinking more of that African swimmer who. Oh, what who, London? It was at London, wasn't it? The 2012 um, Olympics. No, I feel like it was before, but yeah, the same idea though. Who kind of took up his country's like one their ability to have one Olympic uh, sort of participant, and then proceeded to have the slowest time in history. Interestingly enough, you golden age of sport um, and Frank touched upon kind of like the genetic aspect, like they're, they're, humans can just continue to evolve and have those millisecond improvements. But interestingly enough, with horse racing, for example, they actually think they've got to the point where evolution with the horses, with the thoroughbred and the breeding and how they do it has fundamentally got to the point where the physique can't improve for a racehorse anymore like so that's interesting but then you know you see someone like an absolute freak like frankel um but i always thought that was an interesting argument like would there be a point where genetically humans cannot do any more go any faster well, yeah we're not going to suddenly turn into being 25 foot tall right like there's going to be <laughs> there's, there's going to be a stop i mean you, you do raise an interesting point in which in horse racing Obviously, Bjorn uh, Nielsen, who's the slash breeder for the likes of Stradivarius, he's a big believer in that the when you're trying to breed a horse like Stradivarius, not only do you need to breed sort of a good, you know, traditionally people just breed two good stayers. And then actually, no, you need to breed, so have, so have some pace in there with the staying ability, and that will produce the better horse overall. Yeah, I, I mean... There is a huge problem right now in the horse racing industry because everyone is just trying to breed a great two-year-old who can run a fast seven, uh, you know, seven, eight furlongs and then instantly just go into stud. And they're not breeding to have these horses that have the lifespan of like a six, seven-year-old horse like Stradivarius who can run staying races. Um, this is actually something that like people have brought up in a lot lately that they're kind of breeding out that middle to long distance horses because all they care about all you care about is putting a horse to stud because that's where the money is so if you can get a good two-year-old that's good at six seven furlongs that's all you need you don't need them to be good at a mile and a quarter yeah and it's interesting that because jumps racing is almost the opposite because with jumps racing a seven-year-old six-year-old jumper is young they can go on till they're 13 14 um, even with the stay of like Corto star Denman, when that was around for the gold cup rivalry, you know, they were going from eight, nine years old, right up to 13, 14, I think. And, um, it's interesting that jumps literally has that jump. Whereas flats, like you say, it's all about the kind of early, if they're not doing it, then they just get retired to stud and they just want it to be as quick as possible, but as glorious as possible in a way so that they get the money. Speaking of jumps racing. It looks like one of the one of the locks of the year might be a void bet because it looks like no, you don't get a win. No, 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 no. I my bet was that a new horse will win the Grand National. No, no, and a no, new no, horse. No, will no, win. no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. no. We can we can replay if, that. It's not voided because no. if anything, you should I'm, I should be pay, paid out right now. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, okay. So what what would be the odds on paying out that a new horse wins the Grand National? One to thirty, I'll take. What? Yeah, you would. That take is it. the because it would be yeah, Taylor you know Robbery. Yeah. 
that bookmaker would be going out of business <laughs> yeah. so quickly. That same guy would be like, oh, uh, Manchester City to win the Premier League right now? I don't know, 50 to 1? <laughs> I see some danger points there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got games left to play, right? They might lose them all. And if they lose them all, they got no chance. Frank, put my foot down. You deserve zero credit if that is voided. <laughs> like no, there wasn't like the proper, there wasn't like the prophecy has been foretold kind of thing. I saw like, that that horse was done. Yeah, but if your prediction, so I would have given you if your prediction had been that Tiger Roll will not race in this year's Grand National, it still wouldn't have been that bold given the circumstances. But I would at least then give you credit if it didn't turn up. But the fact if it that doesn't you, race, if it doesn't race, how can it win, Eddie? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my bet of the year then is what a philosophical of... point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's like me saying there oh there will be a new hundred meter champion at the next Summer Olympics. Like it's yes, there will be. That's risky. So what have they said about Tiger Roll? Have they said that it's a doubt now, or what have they? I haven't seen that news. Well, it it raced at the weekend. And I think finished, I think it was like 69 lengths behind the winner, something like that, 49 or 69 lengths, somewhere in that far enough away that uh, the number of lengths kind of are insignificant once you're that far behind, right? Um, And basically afterwards, Elliot said that it's definitely going to Cheltenham and that's the plan, so... Uh, on course for Cheltenham and they're pleased relatively speaking with how things are going so far although that seems totally unbelievable but I don't but um, and the article that I read about this because I watched the race but then the article afterwards was trying to put a positive spin on Tiger Roll's performance of the weekend so I think it went off at 11 to 1 and the positive spin they put on it was midway through the race in play betting had it at six to one to win the race because it was traveling with its usual panache. It's like, well, that's great, but it then lost it's terribly. Like, it's like I could go run a marathon and just sprint yeah. like and half just, a mile. And not even it looks great. <laughs> but not even looks great, right? It didn't go, it wasn't like it went odds on and then faded. It went to six to one. So people were still like, I don't think it's going to win, but it's doing okay. So, But yeah, I, I think it looks like it will go to Cheltenham. And I think unless it wins at Cheltenham, we're probably not seeing it at, at Aintree. Speaking of which, there was another horse that um, flopped at the weekend. It was Surname, wasn't it? Yeah. So that that failed pretty badly. And did you see what Paul's Nichols said? Like, if it can't breathe, it can't win. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a fair one. Thanks, Paul. It would have been good for punters to know that as well at four to five. Oh, yeah, we're trying this new thing where we stop its windpipe. <laughs> but yeah. Um, did you see the photos today of uh, album photo? Uh, apparently looking in as good a condition as ever. According to the um, the yard, so oh, they're, an, they're an Eddie favorite. They're very confident yeah. of a hat trick of gold cups. Album photo is one of those horses that I've never been able to call right. Whenever I've had confidence, it's flopped, and whenever I've taken it on, it's won. So uh, you, when we get round to Cheltenham and doing our predictions, the gold cup is a race that I will not be uh, suggesting 
Now, a running theme of this podcast has been the slow demise or fast demise, I suppose, of Liverpool. And uh, they hit a new low at the weekend after losing the Merseyside derby when they lost 2-0 to Everton, which was their fourth home defeat in a row, which is the first time that they've lost four matches in a row at home in 98 years. So, yeah, I mean, it's fair to say at this point, it is the worst title defense, certainly in Premier League history, but it's getting close to being the worst, worst title defense just of all time. And could still progress in Champions League. <laughs> yeah. Leicester's was pretty bad. But, but was it, though? Because, like, I think it was more of just returning to them being able to win well, you are, right you, and you then are still defending the title you are but it's <laughs> yeah but you weren't expected to win it yeah. to begin with like your title defense <laughs> is judged based on the expectations a little bit right and and fundamentally liverpool came into this as title favorites again and were title favorites three months ago still I mean, it's not, it wasn't that long ago that they were still odds on to win the title and now struggling to make the Champions League. I mean, in the form table since the turn of the year, they are 17th. Yeah, it's crazy. And also there was a great stat. Well, great, depending on which side of the Liverpool coin you're on. I think it's something like 590 minutes of open play. They haven't scored. So sorry, they haven't scored in open play in 590 minutes, either in total or at Anfield. And I think the Anfield one is probably even more impressive, considering you only play your games half as much there. So, uh, would you say this is a crisis? Is this is this like a deep, genuine crisis that they're going on at the moment, or just a blip? If they miss the miss out on the Champions League, it's a legitimate crisis just because that has implications, obviously, finan- huge financial implications at a time when obviously when sports already has had a significant drop in revenue. But then also more to the point, I don't know what that means in terms of them retaining some of the players that they have, and then certainly in terms of bringing new players in when you're not offering them Champions League football, that's going to be a massive issue for them. Yeah, especially if they have any intention of keeping up with the city team at the moment. I mean, that's the, that's the gold standard at the moment. <laughs> that's the platinum standard. They are just kind of going from Liverpool kind of onto the other people that we tipped up at the start of the season. There's something genuinely incredible about watching this man city team, uh, because when we watched Liverpool last year, and we always spoke about this um, offline on the podcast as well, there was always this feeling that Liverpool, if they missed one or two players, may struggle or if they they had a bit of luck on their side or VAR there was always something that you would describe with this Liverpool team that they were just winners you would never say they were incredible winners you never you never just see three four nils constantly but this Man City team I mean what is that now 18 straight or 19 straight wins and every single game you have just felt that they go about it with like a swagger they dominate they just look so good and it was so depressing as an Arsenal fan watching them because granted we only lost one nil, but it was this depressing reality that right from kickoff, this was only going one way. And it was almost like Arsenal thought of it as either a two-legged game or just accepted defeat from minute one. But 
I don't know what you two think, but this Man City team is, I would probably say at the moment, more special than the Liverpool team last year. They're better. But I always felt anyway that City, I mean, which we've discussed in the past, I've always felt over the, even at Liverpool at their best, that on their day, City at their best were a better team. I Obviously, I think City at their best, that level has been raised this season. Uh, so, yeah, I have no doubt that, for example, this City team would beat Liverpool last year. But, you know... At the same time, the record that Liverpool had in terms of not losing over the you know the length of time that they didn't lose for, and just the n- number of points that they accumulated over you know a season and a half, two two seasons, you can't deny how incredible that that was. Yeah, it's almost like in a way that uh, obviously Liverpool have had their. Van Dijk out, which is a massive hit. And I think it's really shown how much of a hit that has been over time. But Man City have almost had a couple of almost free signings in a way with like Gundogan, Cancelo. Like they have become such integral and good players. Whereas at the start of the season, they weren't even really factoring that much. They weren't where the emphasis was on this team. And then all of a sudden you've had a couple of people that were in the squad kind of rise, not from nowhere, but come from somewhere. And have really just added that additional depth that sometimes City did lack last year. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing would be, can they win the quadruple? That would be the thing that surely, if you're them, you're you're thinking about in terms of trying to, in response to everything that Liverpool have achieved over the past few seasons if city win the quadruple it kind of puts them as still being the dominant side in england over this sort of five six year span what do you think the odds are at the moment on them winning all four so remind me they're in the final against spurs in the league cup yes they are in the quarter finals of the fa cup they're playing everton away they are obviously in the strong f- FA Cup. They're in the first. Yeah, they still have Chelsea and Leicester uh, and Manchester United in in the FA Cup. You have they're in the Champions League. They're playing Borussia Mönchengladbach in the first knockout round. But obviously, you've still got most of the major players involved. And then the Premier League is all but over. They are one to sixty six to win the Premier League now. So it's not even a factor in the odds. So if I think of it, I think they're going to be about one to four to win the League Cup, to lift the trophy, about one to four. FA Cup, I'll probably say they're about eight to 11 because it's probably going to be one where they field a weakened side. So I'll probably go about eight to 11. Champions League, I'll probably say they're about four or five to one, maybe second favorites because I feel like Bayern would always be favorites in that respect. Um and then, like you said, one to sixty-six. So I'm going to say analysis. <laughs> I'm going to go for the quadruple at about ten to one. I'll go seven to one. I think it's less. It is uh, eleven eleven point six two to give you the. So you weren't you weren't far off, Sam. And actually, you're breaking it down toward the sort of competition by competition. You weren't too bad either they are 
one to sixty six to win the Premier League. They are eleven to eight to win the FA Cup. They are two to seven to win the League Cup, and they are eleven to four to win the Champions League. They're eleven to eight to win the FA Cup. Yeah, it, it's because if they're going to field a weakened side, it's there. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's the problem with that. It's a bit of a bogey. Um, See, I thought it was going to be less because I feel like if they get some momentum and like win one of them, then they're I think because they've got the they've got the league, and if they can win the first one, now they've got two in the bag, and then they've got some momentum that they're going to really want to go for it. And that's why I figured it would be less than kind of just putting their odds of each one together. Yeah, I mean, the FA Cup. So obviously the Champions League, assuming the league is kind of in the bag, the Champions League is the priority, right? Because it's the thing they haven't won. So they, you know that they'll put all focus into that. And so then it's just the awkwardness of where the some of those FA Cup ties fall, that they'll have scenarios where that they might be playing in the FA Cup and then the Wednesday on a Saturday and then the Wednesday they're playing in the Champions League. So maybe they'll rest players for some of those matches. Plus the other thing is you could have a sequence there. Obviously Everton away is not an easy match. You have a sequence of fixtures where they sort of play Everton away, United away. You know, they they could have quite a difficult path to lifting. Like if you tell me they then had to play United and then say Chelsea on, on, on course to winning the FA Cup, it's it's not exactly straightforward. And also, those two teams—that's that's the trophy they'll win. That's the one they're targeting, right? I mean, obviously, Chelsea just had a really impressive win against Atletico Madrid, but realistically, the Champions League probably isn't their target. Both of them probably don't have the league as a target because Man City have wrapped that up and they're not in the League Cup final. So, man, you could probably theoretically look at. Europa, but I think the FA Cup will be an, an easier target in that respect. So, uh, would you? So, obviously, odds wise, the stick in the mud here is the Champions League. Are they going to get past Bayern? At some point, they have to play Bayern, right? Let, like, because Bayern are just Champions League destroyers. Like, whatever's in front of them, they just won 4 1 tonight away to Lazio. Um, are they going to beat Bayern? That was the final we all wanted last year, but uh, I mean, I think they're better than Bayern. I don't know. I mean, that's the other challenge here, right? If they play Bayern over the course of two legs, I think they would beat Bayern. If they're playing Bayern in a final, that's the t- the tough thing about the Champions League, right? You're going to get into final against a top quality side, and you're kind of rolling the dice then over in a nine in one ninety minute match. Can you have a little bit of luck go your way? Can you be the better side on the day? And so there, I mean, I wouldn't say it with total confidence. Yes, City will beat Bayern. I think over the, I would be very surprised if they don't make the final. That's, I will say. I think two legs, this current City side, in the form that it's in, will be very difficult to beat. Champions League changes things, though. Look at Liverpool. Had a very comfortable, well-performed 2-0 win in the Champions League, then go back and lose again in the Premier League. Um, it can be escape, right? Like Leon, well, PS- when they showed them last time. PSG, PSG won 4-1 in Barcelona and then lost 2-0 to Monaco. So there was a European hangover for a couple of teams last week. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, even Porto. 
beat Juventus 2-1 and then needed a 93rd minute goal to win their Portuguese league match, uh, I think yesterday. So it's not, it's not Did like... Did you back them? No. Yeah, don't say I don't say I think yesterday <laughs> as if you weren't brushing your teeth vigorously. No, no, no. Seven minutes. brushes just in his mouth. <laughs> no, I was not brushing my teeth. I wasn't I was aware that they were playing, but I wasn't aware of I just saw the score afterwards. I didn't I had no interest in, in following the the match itself. Well, it does also look like there's some uh a decent chance, I guess, to have all three English teams advanced to the final eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still wouldn't Chelsea's win. Yeah. With Giroud scoring what's been <laughs> labeled the goal of the season. I don't know. I still wouldn't trust Chelsea. Uh, and it's that thing with that Atletico Madrid, right? You, you always feel like they're going to go into that second leg with just the right approach. Uh, so I would, it wouldn't surprise me if Chelsea were still knocked out. Although obviously going home with an away goal and and the advantage is is pretty big. Is that your tip? Atlas going uh, to qualify. No, no, I don't trust either of those sides really. So there are teams that I would feel if I had to pick upsets next over the next couple of weeks, uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't be the one. Switching to American football for someone that we've talked about many times on the podcast with his now winning the Comeback Player of the Year award. Alex Smith had a recent interview where he roasted the Washington football team. Uh, He basically, his quote is uh, asking about, they asked about whether the organization was surprised that he was going to play. And he said, they didn't see it. They didn't want me there. Didn't want me to be a part of it. Didn't want me to be on the team, the roster. Didn't want to give me a chance. Mind you, it's a whole new regime. They came in. I'm the leftovers and I'm hurt and I'm this liability. Heck no, they didn't want me there. At that point, as you can imagine, everything I've been through, I couldn't have cared less about what they thought. Whether you like it or not, I'm giving it a go at this point. So I thought that... To me, sounds like someone who's not going to be on the Washington football team next year. <laughs> Probably not. I also kind of torn in how to feel about it because I kind of get it from the team's perspective that they don't really want a quarterback who nearly died, nearly had his leg amputated, sort of would have had everyone tell him there's no way he could ever play in the NFL again hanging around and trying to make the team. I can kind of get from the team's perspective why they might be encouraging him to just say, hey, why don't you retire and go home with all that money? That's all fully guaranteed because right, that was the kind of lucky thing for Alex Smith that he signed a fully guaranteed deal when it came to injuries. So you'd have to see exactly how they treated him and what exactly they said to him and the way they said it to him. But if it was more, if it was just kind of them saying, Hey, why don't you, you, this is great, but why don't you give up on this and go and focus on something else? You can see where they're coming from. Yeah. He said that every, every time he came out, like back from practice into the locker room, they had taken his clothes in the locker room and thrown it in the trash and pissed on it for three weeks straight. (laughs) I mean, isn't he half doing it himself though? 
like um isn't he kind of half orchestrating his exit there by saying those things yeah in the and, same and way you know that what? you see like paul pogba paul pogba's agent does the same thing right he always like oh i don't know should Pogba is looking at this. Pogba is interested in that, and you're always just half sowing the seeds of like, this could, I could leave, maybe I want to leave or something like that. Isn't he half opening the door himself to leave? Yeah, maybe. And and you know what? Maybe he's not saying that in a demeaning way. You know, maybe he's kind of saying exactly like Eddie's saying that he had that self realization, basically that yeah, of course no one's gonna want me. Like who's going to want me? You know, I just came off some serious injury. Of course, it's a, it's a new group. They don't want me. They don't know anything about me. You know, maybe he's actually not kind of ripping on the team, but just, you know, being honest and giving a self-assessment as well. But the other thing that reminds me of that is in the hockey playoffs last year, Marc-Andre Fleury, who was the goalie for the Vegas oh, Knights. Enough hold on, hold on. This enough is good. hockey. Because <laughs> you said about his agent, his agent posted a picture. Uh, he was the the goalie for the Knights. And then when they went to the playoffs, they benched him in favor of the other goalie and just didn't play him throughout the playoffs. And his agent put up a picture of him and net with a knife behind his back. <laughs> and everyone kind of thought like, Oh, that's it. You know? And now he's still on the team and now he's back to being the starter. So <laughs> maybe always having your agent post things doesn't mean that you're opening the door to leave. <laughs> yeah, true. And look, there's just people within organizations who will say stupid things and it might not necessarily represent, you know, what everyone feels. I mean, there was the, the president and CEO, I don't know if you saw of the Seattle Mariners, the Major League Baseball team, who had to resign this week after in like a Zoom meeting with a Rotary Club that he'd been asked to give a speech to, just said a number of highly inappropriate things. A, relating to players where he routinely said, like, nice guy, like, tons of character, speaks terrible English. He accused one Japanese guy of basically pretending to not be able to speak English in that they <laughs> they paid $75,000 a year for him to have a translator. And then when they said they were tired of paying that, he suddenly, all of a sudden, could speak much better English. Um, he put the team in a, in a really difficult situation in terms of coming flat out and saying that certain prospects from their like minor league ball would not be making an appearance in the majors until certain dates, which obviously Sam, you won't be aware of this and, and some of our listeners won't, but matters in the terms of it triggers when they're eligible for their kind of next contracts and stuff. So they intentionally sometimes will delay having a player make that first appearance so that they can kind of have a little bit longer with them on a more team-friendly contract. Um, and yeah, he just, I, it's, it's incredible. I watched the recording of it to have someone come out and say the number of stupid things he did in something that he would have known was being recorded is unbelievable. And maybe just when in the Alex Smith situation, you just got to keep it in mind that sometimes people are just saying stupid things. He called it a lapse in judgment. It was like a 45-minute lapse in judgment. <laughs> well, at one moment, too, he I don't know whether he realized that maybe he shouldn't. So at one moment, for example, he said uh, he was talking about one pitcher, and he was like, yeah, well, we won't be bringing him back next week, next year. And that was obviously news to this pitcher whose wife went on Twitter and was like, 
I guess we should sell our home. <laughs> like, and then, and then, uh, and then at one moment he was just using everyone's names. It was, it's phenomenal in some respects, but at one moment he, he kind of made it try to seem as if he was trying to withhold someone's name. So he said a starting pitcher we had last year, who we then traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. I won't say his name, but it's like, well, you've given them all the details necessary <laughs> yeah. for everyone. It's not like you traded 97 starting pitchers to the Arizona Diamondbacks last year. Like everyone is fully aware. You would have just happened to have like a cursory knowledge of major league baseball. And you know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, surely this has like blown the lid on all of this because there must be other franchises and players within those franchises where they're now thinking like whatever they say something is clearly being done differently behind the scenes if it happens at one club chance are probably happens to all of them right in some so, way shape or form so the element of not promoting players to try and uh, in to time that that's everyone knows that you they do it but they can't openly say that that's why they're doing it because but some aspects of this, like one at one moment, he's they asked him, like, how, how has the team been doing during the pandemic? And he said, Well, in one way, we're lucky because we have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Obviously, people know that because so that's no surprise. But then his follow up to that was, And also, we've got a really great TV deal, like, we're getting paid more than we should be on our TV deal. So it's really helped out that we're, we're getting more money than we should be. It's like, well, that's going to be great when you go to renegotiate your TV deal next time that you've publicly and on record said that they were paying you too much. Then they asked him about what are the what are the like what's your big concern in terms of day to day operations with the team, and he was like, well, the great thing is there's not a lot of parking around uh, the stadium, and so we own the uh, like parking lot across the street, and so I can charge a lot for fans to go in there and park so that's great in terms of revenue but one absolute wheeler dealer <laughs> yeah but to make sure i can charge all of that money to fans we don't allow the employees to park in that parking lot and so they tell employees to park kind of further away from the stadium in an area supposedly of seattle that's not safe and so he said that his big concern is that all these employees are being forced to park in an unsafe area and then travel to the stadium and it's like well you're the ones making them do this like it's not as if it's not as if you've tried to make the, the employees park in the parking lot and they've been like no 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 we don't want to park here you specifically been like go park in this dangerous area and be like yeah, it's kind of worrying all the employees are parking in a dangerous area. He said about the Japanese pitcher, wonderful human being. His English is terrible. I'm tired of paying his interpreter. <laughs> That's so terrible. It's unbelievable that the quotes don't even do it justice because when you watch the recording, like whenever he talks about a, a foreign player for, for no reason. So because it, it, it's obviously, it was like a Zoom call. People are asking him questions at one moment. So like, hey, what about this player? Like, is he good? Like, what about his prospects? It'd be like, great guy, tons of personality, really talented baseball player, definitely going to make the league terrible English. Like, he's just, every every foreign player, for whatever reason, he had to just comment on their level, their standard of English. Like, this guy could really hit the ball, incredible athlete, 
can't speak a lick of English. Like it's just like no, this doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things too where it's so extremely unfair because you're bringing this person in from a different country to play for your organization. It's not as if they yeah. grew up in America yeah. and they're just like a product of a bad educational yeah. system. Yeah, and you it know, also, like, it also like, what do you it expect? Also, <laughs> it also comes across that he's somewhat surprised that the English was bad. It's like, yeah. why is this Japanese person so bad at English? Yeah. Or even worse, at least in the, that case, I guess there's some element that the guy has been around for a while. But sometimes it's like, why can't this 19-year-old Dominican guy speak better English? Like, I don't get it. Uh, speaking of American sports, I saw the Lakers have lost three straight games. And uh, Suns, yeah. I, I I track this now. I'm interested. I'm interested just because it doesn't, it looks, after what you all said about it being like an interesting bet, I've now started to follow it a little bit and it's been interesting to follow. I wouldn't say I've learned any more about NBA, but I'm certainly enjoying the uh, the tracking of the Suns. Did he pick them to win the whole Western Conference? No, just to win their division. Okay. In many ways, I feel more confident about them winning the Western Conference, as weird as that sounds, just because... You could tell me they're a good team to get into the playoffs. They win series. They're four the and a half of, back. Yeah, the idea of them winning the uh, division seems less likely. I mean, their current odds, right? We've done some updates on this. They're down to nine to one to win the division. So obviously they were 22 to one when you picked them. They were 16 to one when we last spoke about it. One, one game back. They're down to nine to one. The Lakers are still favorites. They're still odds on favorites. You have the Clippers right behind them. But uh, Sam, I will say this. They're one game back and they're nine and one in their last 10. So either (laughs) this is a huge like Bitcoin upswing you're about to see or or it's or it's the the Dodge coin coming back down hard next week (laughs) or it's the Bitcoin crash today. Are we, are we last week's Bitcoin or are we today's Bitcoin? I mean, in some respects, right? You'll, you'll get Sam the Squid credit even if they just happen to have outperformed their odds, which it looks very, for a team that was 22 to 1 to win the division preseason, it looks like you definitely got value, right? Like you could cash this bet in now and make some profit. Some Squid bucks. Yeah, not a lot. I don't think anyone's going to be paying you out that much, but you'd definitely be up. Or you run the risk that this is Tiger Roll cruising along in the first five furlongs of a three-mile race. (laughs) I'll say this. If Tiger Roll does go to the Grand National, there's no way I'm backing it. But every ounce of my... Every I 100 percent like, back no, 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 it because no, then I'm, I'm gonna no, win win. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. You, yeah, I was gonna say you you stick you to your guns now, Frankie boy. Yeah, you, you can't do that. You can't then you can't then claim that it was some victory for what, you. What a shit hedge that would be. <laughs> like I said he wasn't gonna be here, but now he's here. I've got to back him. So he's just backing appearances, also, basically. It's not even a hedge because he doesn't have the actual bet the first way around. 
he's just so he either loses money or he gets to have like podcast credit you could imagine you could imagine the duke curse that one being that somehow there's like an accident on the motorway coming. no 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 a dead heat that's, oh, that's no. what he needs in a four mile no in a dead, race, heat. I went, dead heat i went all every way around <laughs> no you you kind of lose all the way around because it would have hedge, to be you'd lose your your fundamental f- you get half the, the field stake. yeah you, you would have lost money on that on the bet that would lose money anyway because just i think you fundamentally have to pay a bookmaker to put that bet on but the other the other bet on on if you then had to try and balance your exposure on that one with tiger all actually winning and then it was a dead heat you'd be in big trouble I think it would be the ultimate loss would be if I took Tiger Roll in the American bookie system and then Tiger Roll was first to the pole and then gets DQ'd. <laughs> or withdrawn under starter's orders. <laughs> yeah. That would be the one. That would be the killer. But I, I, with every ounce of my being, even though I will have no financial interest whatsoever in Tiger Roll winning... I will be the biggest Tiger Roll fan if it actually goes to Aintree. I mean, by that logic, you want it to run well at Cheltenham to give it the chance. So prelude would be, would you gamble on it at Cheltenham? I don't even know what race it would go into. No, I've watched, it's, a, it's an absolute, it's an absolute, yeah, with cross country. It's an absolute donkey. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be betting on it in anything. I'm not sure I would bet on it to beat me at the moment, but <laughs> <laughs> I could just imagine you gracefully going over the cross country course and show. <laughs> I didn't even think of that aspect of it. I just thought of him running against the horse, but having him. Trying to climb over the bushes. <laughs> would you be doing it on two legs or would you have to do the four? Obviously just on two. I'm not insane. Eddie, what, what, would, what would be your method to try and get over the, the fences? <laughs> are you just going through them or are you trying to climb up and over? Well, like the are you trying to jump them? Thor. <laughs> just pull out. It, it, it would depend. Fence. It would depend on it. Beecher's Brook, I think, would be my. That would be my Everest, because I'd have to decide there. The, I think it's a real debate of whether I try and go through or over. Oh wait, I you're running go, the national. Yeah, yeah. I thought we okay, okay. So we're doing national fences. <laughs> okay, I thought First, you were on about like the bristled, heavy steeplechase. No, like, no, no. Wow. The cross country I could actually do right because they're all relative. Uh, no. the grand national would be a much more of a challenge than now eddie you make a lot of claims but this is one i would really like to see i could beat this horse that talks at about a 35 mile an hour no no, no, no. No, just he's just claiming he could run the challenge of course that alone i would love to see (laughs) when i I said i could do the cross country i'm not saying oh i'm the favorite to win this race what i'm saying is i could complete it that's my point would you have a jockey on your back (laughs) yeah i'd I'd strap a mouse to my head (laughs) but the there would be some obstacles in the grand national that i literally don't know what the best technique would be i think beaches brook i'd have to try and go through i honestly think i don't know how you could go over because 
So Beecher's Brook is a little under five feet high. Yeah. But then it drops down. So it's also quite to the wide. water. It's it, it's eight feet. It's all, so you'd it's, have to, <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> a foot and a half wide. So point yeah. point five, and, like half a meter wide. And I and the question would be if I tried to crawl over it, I don't know if it's sturdy enough. If you see what I mean, like I think I might just fall into it. So I think. Wait, wait, no, I think fence 15, the chair. Now that's your challenge. It's a five-foot five fence, but there's a six-foot gap in front that you have to jump on. <laughs> you could it's imagine like a, him. It's a you could imagine foot. him going for like. You could imagine him going for like the hurdle. <laughs> kind of like it's, a, it's a three foot shallow grave that's dug six feet wide so you'd have to run jump a six foot grave onto the fence and then climb up and over now that i would pay to see you try to tempt that I, again i'm not going to go into this thinking i'm a horse I'm not going to no, try and... just... Oh, okay. I'm glad we've established. I'm not going to try gonna and... think you're up. So you're going to go try... under, like you're going to go into the grave and then come up. Yeah, I'm not going to try and leap over the six feet and then clear a fence. <laughs> like I'm not going to suddenly think I'm superhuman as I approach this. I like... think I think there would be one point on the national circuit where you would get cocky and you would think I could make this. No, no, there wouldn't be. Now, the other challenge would be if you were putting some kind of time limit on me, right? Because we are talking about me running four miles four. Like a day? <laughs> Is that your time limit? So, so, like, do I have unlimited time conditions? Like, it's going to probably be, say, it's soft grass, like muddy grass. Like, it's it's not going to be the easiest running conditions when you then... It would be... It's like a very interesting Spartan race, basically. Oh, I love that you're even factoring in conditions. <laughs> That's really yeah. going to make a difference. Yeah. You, you can imagine Eddie being like, uh, Eddie, over, Eddie over just being like, I'm withdrawing because the ground's too heavy. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> oh, no way I withdraw. If anything, we, I think I might have come up with a really good this should be a charity fundraiser that Aintree should run. Like the day after the national, they should mm -hmm. open it up for a Spartan race and just allow you see, may, see if more, more people die attempting the grand national Spartan race <laughs> than horses die in the race itself. Not that we advocate for that at all. The people I would be fine with, but I'm glad that I've, Got a more, even more outrageous claim to try and back up now. So you would give yourself zero chance, Frank. If I told you you got to complete the Grand National course, you're not. You don't do, think you can do it. Do I have to go over the fences? No, we've already established you. You can use whatever technique, but then no, no. But I mean, I can't go around it. No, you can't. Well, no, because no. no, a horse can't do that. The idea is you've got to emulate the course properly. That's that's not the course. If you, you can just imagine just a horse just I'm not, plowing you, through the fence, you've you've basically asked me, right? You're basically saying, can you jog four miles and, and a half? That's what you've you've turned this into. In well, which case, you, the answer. Well, is you brought the conditions in to effect, so maybe with the heavy conditions, no. 
<laughs> and okay, you have to go around. So maybe you turn it into five miles because you've got to go around these fences. So you're not running it in the, you know, the, the shortest way possible. But yes, I think you could run five miles, Frank. I, I just don't know. Well, I've never been to a jumps track before, so I don't know how, like, I don't know the consistency of the fences. Like, well, is it going to be have... super painful to go through like the first one? And then I have to do what? 18 more fences well, with like cuts are... and bruises. So, <laughs> the, the national fences are completely different. They're, they're more like hedgerows than they are like um but how thick where, do you know what i mean like can you actually kind of the climb it fences, and jump it or are you going through it they're pretty loose like when you see them go over the top they do shave off quite a lot of the fence yeah if you were doing steeplechase you'd probably slice up your whatever part of the body hits it because that's like a hard bristle on the steeplechase ones Hurdy, i'm definitely wearing full-length clothes i'm not doing this in a t-shirt and shorts Okay, that's fair. I've got no problem with that. I don't think it's going to help you. <laughs> that brought, I saw SportsCenter on Twitter, I think it was. They posted, it, the question was framed something like, you're offered $6 million to play one-on-one -on -one basketball against Michael Jordan in his prime, and you have 20 attempts. You have to score once. And if you... If you don't score, you can never listen to music again. It was something, it was framed something like this. And I've seen, I think this like format's pretty popular on uh, at the moment as a question. Today I saw like, you have to take a penalty against Manuel Neuer. But if you miss it, you, it's like you get 1 million if you make it. But if you miss it, you never get to do anything associated with football. I can't play, can't watch, can't play FIFA, can't do anything with football ever again. Would you take the risk? Anyone who turns down the penalty is just an idiot in my mind. The one-on-one -on -one versus Michael Je Michael Jordan, you'd be crazy to think you could do it. The way you said Michael Jordan then came across like you were going to say Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I, I was close to saying Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I would actually back myself. One-on-one -on -one basketball, me versus Michael Jackson. I'd be fine with, with taking myself. I mean, Michael J. Fox will be a bit erratic. Oh dear. <laughs> I guess it depends on which era you of, of Michael J. Fox you're playing. Oh Back to the Future era. Not post Back to the Future era. Um so are you forced to take this gamble? As in no. you said you have to do this. <laughs> like some sort of weird game of saw. Like where you're, no, he's, you're no like, he's saying, would you do it? Oh, I think would it, you do it? Would okay. you do? Would you take the gamble? Is the question, right? Not could you do it? it it's would you take that shot? The, exactly. the penalty, yes, because fundamentally there's a guess game. You get it on target, and there's still every possibility that you score. Whereas basketball, there's still a huge element of skill to get it into that small area. Basketball, absolutely not. I, I, th I think so. Anyone who doesn't back themselves to score a penalty, I mean, 
I understand not wanting like in a penalty shootout to win the world cup, not wanting to be one of the five and thinking someone's more suitable or thinking the pressure might get to you. I do understand that perspective, but if, if, if it was kind of this sort of free gamble, okay, not having me able to watch football and stuff would suck, but I'd rather have the, you know, million dollars or 2 million or whatever was at stake on the other end thinking, Oh, I, I don't think I can score a penalty. Like, I'd be very, very confident. Are you allowed to... So let's say the Neuer penalty was a thing and you lost and you're never allowed to talk about football again. Are you allowed to talk about the how you can't talk about football again? Because that's a really no. cool story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that makes it more difficult where like you walk into a bar and you see there's football on, like, guys, I got to leave. Like, why do you have to leave? I, I, I just got to. I can't tell you why, but I have to. It's, it's a really cool story, but I can't go into it. <laughs> Would you do a um, a Lookman-style Rabona, Eddie, as your first penalty, knowing that you've got like five more? No, no, you've only got one. Oh, you've only got one penalty? Yeah, yeah, it's just one. It's not a full oh. shootout. Would Would you go? Would I go for the, the Panenka? Um, I'd go for the rifle down the middle. I wouldn't go down the middle. No way. Keepers don't stand still. I'd go top corner. You go okay. Ooh, easy, you go for the riskiest easy. shot. <laughs> so easy. Smash it top corner. You go for the riskiest shot. Smash it top corner and then say, sorry, man, you'll see you later. And then go off with Because I've got to go get the ball. Because it's <laughs> gone into the stands. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just put it out of the stadium. <laughs> Yeah, no, I go top corner. Uh, I was I, watching. I, I'm going on the logic that keepers never stand still. So what shootout I was I watching? I was watching a shootout last week. Can't remember what it was, and uh, and the commentator. Oh no, it was Messi's penalty against PSG last week, and he sort of went. I mean, the BT Sports commentators decided he'd gone top corner. It was sort of top corner-ish. And I uh, can't remember whoever it was, but he, whoever it is commentating on, on that match, he was like, oh, top corner, unsavable. No one ever, no goalkeeper ever goes to try and stop in the top corner. You never see a goalkeeping coach telling them to try and leap into the top corner. You never see a goalkeeper just throwing himself in the top. And the way he was describing it, I understand everything that he's saying. It all made sense, sort of in some respects. But then it was also one of the things like, if everything you're saying is 100% true, why is not every penalty taker just going top corner? Like, there's the risk element of missing it, but fundamentally, yeah. he's basically saying if you go into that, if you go into either top sort of quadrants of the goal, the goalkeeper's not even making an attempt to save it. I guess it's risk reward, right? Because you're you're leaning back to get the trajectory on the shot. And with that comes its own risk reward. I personally think missing the goal is the most criminal part of a penalty. So I think you're just you're just opening up that chance more by going top bin. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter. Like if you miss, you miss. It doesn't matter how like you're not gonna be ridiculed. It's not as if well, you're you're no. a pro player. Uh I think if you miss a penalty. And I can say this, and uh, no, 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 I'm I, talking about the bet. I'm talking about the bet, not in real. I would ridicule. I would ridicule anyone who missed it. 
I don't care who. Oh, so it's televised. Or just if you told me, if you, you told me that you were going to go and do this. So, cause you could tell people ahead of time, right? Like there's nothing stopping you from saying, Hey, I've been offered this bet. And then when I go, Hey Frank, do you want to watch the football? And you say, no, it's like Frank lost the bet. Like this is clear. Frank missed the penalty. He can't tell us, but he's not any richer <laughs> and he can't watch sports anymore. So he's definitely missed the penalty. Um, but I would ridicule you. But that's I what I'm saying. You. What you I'm saying was two manual lawyers were in goal and I'd still ridicule you. What I'm saying is Sam Sam saying he wouldn't try that because that would be like the most embarrassing. But at that point, it doesn't matter if I miss it, no matter how I miss it. So go for your best chance of making it. Well, your best chance of making it is keeping it on target. And usually the lower it is, because what you could do is you could scuff it. Keep it goes the wrong way. It's still in. It, It doesn't matter. Whereas if you go high and you don't, if you miss the goal entirely, it doesn't matter what the keeper does. And that's why it's stupid. Like you have to. That's why you're stupid, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) Look, my own penalty record. I'll say that I scored several free kicks over the course of my playing career. I only ever took one penalty in a competitive match. uh, And I missed it. It was very, they were very muddy conditions. And I said, you tried to go top quarter. (laughs) No, I, 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 I actually kind of went down the middle, but I slipped as I took it. It was really, really muddy. And so I got no power behind it. And so the goalkeeper who had dived, it was able to stop it with his feet, even as he, as he dived. And then the ball was loose. This was the most embarrassing part of it. So the ball was then loose and it was, and I decided, well, I, I'm going to try and follow, follow up on this. So I then launched myself into this horrific two-footed challenge towards the ball to try and get it to kind of just force it over the line. And the keeper got to it first. So I then proceeded to just go straight into his face. The fact that I wasn't sent off, which I absolutely should have been, was incredible. I wasn't even booked for it. I think the referee just took pity on the fact that I just really embarrassed myself. But uh, the, I, I, I could have faced, if I think of it from a professional standpoint, like if I imagine I had like flash scores, there is a possibility of like penalty to team X, Hewitt to take the penalty. And then you just see like penalty missed Hewitt red card. <laughs> that could have been the sequence of updates. <laughs> so let me get this right. You went to take the penalty. You hit it so poorly. The keeper dove the other way, got back up, Walked back over to the middle. No, 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 and no, no, stopped it. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and it is actually no, no, no. If the way Eddie's saying it is true, it's like when the keeper dives, obviously he stretches full, and it's hit his leg. And they're still impressive saves to coordinate that level. Oh, of I think those are almost better saves because that's actual yeah. like reactions when they just no, don't look. I'm not trying to give the, but I actually think when you see a goalkeeper like diving one way and then lifting a leg to actually get the save. That to me is where you see really good penalty saves when they've when they just guessed the direction, thrown their body at full stretch, and they've blocked it. To me, still good, but that's fundamentally just rolling the dice. There's not a tremendous amount of skill there. So yes, I mean, Frank, I was just I was just against a really really good goalkeeper, and I just brought the best out of him. So it was still a success as far as I'm concerned. I'd fancy my chances anyway, considering I've already scored a penalty against an international goalkeeper. So 
absolutely no problems for me taking a penalty against an international goalkeeper. Do you think it was fair for you to just pick on the England blind goalkeeper like that? Or <laughs> any remorse? I would be able to score against them. I'm talking, we're going lower here. Oh, oh dear. Wales. <laughs> Who was it then, Sam? Spill the beans. It was Neville Southall. I have scored a penalty, sent him the wrong way. <laughs> Bit of few issues with his eyesight at the point. Um, but yes, I have scored a penalty against Neville Southall. Wales goalkeeper legend. I think maybe over 100 caps was starter for Everton during the 90s for a lot of it. Not, I would say, you know, about was, about was this was About this before noise. or after he recorded that video with Michael Owen? <laughs> You've never seen that clip? That clip? I, I probably like, have, but I can't remember it. So I think the premise is it was, it was like a Michael Owen video, like a skills training video. This is maybe when Michael Owen, I guess, is probably 20, something like that, 20, 21. And he's brought in this kind of, this sort of 12, 13-year-old a goalkeeper who Neville Southall is then coaching and Michael Owen is just doing a shooting drill against him. And in fairness, the goalkeeper isn't good. It's not like they brought in some, you know, the best goalkeeper out of the United Academy to try and see how he can do against Michael Owen. It's a random kid who just wants to be a better keeper. And uh, Michael Owen just goes full speed for this drill like that doesn't hold back at all and then after scoring each time wheels away in celebration and <laughs> and the kid and also kind of kind of talks trash to the kid as well and you can tell that the kid is suffering a little bit and at one moment after uh, after michael owen scores and then literally wheels away like circling his arm in celebration neville southall just goes oh well done he's a child <laughs> <laughs> something like that it's not the exact quote but it's the, you can look it up on youtube it's amazing yeah take a look at that <laughs> it would be amazing if you now told us that was you that would be the best bit <laughs> i I've never met Michael Owen, so no, sadly not. Twas not I. Any other topics that we should discuss this week? Uh, England, India. Round three. No way they score 500 runs. That I'll say. <laughs> so, Joe Root. I will, <laughs> I will say one thing. I, I think this is a good bet, by the way. Um, this is a really different pitch compared to the previous two. Like this one has got grass on the outfield, um, but it is well known as being one of the few pitches in the subcontinent where seam and swing bowling matter. Uh, the Indian team will probably burn off all the grass from the, the main wicket, so that won't be an issue. But fundamentally, there will still be some green there for the England players. It's a day-night game, and the pink ball that they use instead of the kookaburra favors seam and swing and as i mentioned it is a seam and swing pitch so uh i think this will be the one that england targeted to win 
because they've already looked with their lineup like they're going to go Seaman swing bowling. And Jimmy Anderson is five to two to be the top wicket taker in this test. And I think considering how good he is and how good he was in that first test where there was no Seaman swing and then to give him a ball that favors it, a ground that favors it, I think five to two is a really good bet. So I think it's you're looking at a draw and England win, but I think that the Jimmy Anderson five to two is a really good bet. I don't get the pink ball. Why do so, they use the pink ball? Yeah, they're going to use yeah. the pink ball because it's a day night test. So, so you can pick it up better in in darker conditions. Oh, okay. And the reason they use the white ball in one day cricket or T20 cricket is so that when you're playing at night under lights, you can pick the white ball up. And then obviously in this, if you use the dark red ball and you're playing in, in darker conditions, it would just be a little bit harder to pick up. So they use the pink ball for that reason. So it's like, so it's like an in-between. Yeah, and, and just then the differences in the kind of material, the outer of the ball, means the ball itself behaves a little bit differently. Yeah, so like the pink ball has a bit more like... Oh, behave. <laughs> God. So there's like more synthetic shine. Just to be ball. clear, Sam, what's what's been more offensive, Frank's oh behave or or all of the other jo- various jokes I've made over the past few months? It's easier just to ignore them all because love beats hate. <laughs> well, that's getting cut out. Ah, uh, what? Everything's getting cut out except that bit. So it's not having, not having me that having a rant and then it's just going to be cut. Not having that sap in the podcast. Sap. Oh, God. Just don't cut you disgusting jumping over the fences, <laughs> the Grand National. That image. Just, I would pay to have that. that just one just, fence. I don't want the video. I just I want, want the one picture fence. of you just. On I want fence. one shot of you. Maybe like four foot up, but the fence to six foot. And just the realization that it's not happening. A good one would be if you could get him like mid attempt and then the face of his realization that like, oh shit, I'm screwed. (laughs) Again, I, I don't know which, I don't know what you think my technique would be for this. Head dive head first, try and springboard over it. I did watch a really the question. I did actually watch a really fascinating, uh, sort of like mini documentary this week about a I think he was from New Zealand, pretty short New Zealand, long jumper who in I think it was the 1974 Olympics. Is that right? Uh, I'm just trying to think if that's an Olympic year. Might have been 72, 76, I guess. Um, he went into the long jump and did a somersault as his attempt. And basically, then they, the Olympic, the International Athletics Federation or whatever they are, banned uh, the somersault technique with long jumps saying that it was too dangerous. So you are no longer allowed to attempt a somersault when you do a long jump, but which upset him because 
he did research into it and biomechanically it's the most efficient way of attempting to do a long jump and he thinks he would have broken the world record had he been allowed to continue with that technique and he actually thinks he would have won the olympics that day had he uh put more effort into his kind of sort of actual understanding of the somersault so basically he said the issue he had is when he was in like mid somersault he had no perception of what body his body position was in and so then when he landed he kind of landed by surprise versus knowing this is when i'm going to hit the ground and so sam what are you clearly imagining <laughs> What? Why is this relating to your Grand National Fence? Is well, this what you're planning what on doing? Gonna do. He's going to somersault <laughs> through it. This is what yeah. he's doing. Yeah, the biomechanics makes gets sense. Stuck. <laughs> just fails, and his back lands against his hedge, and he just slides back down. Well, I guess I I have to weigh up, right? Do I somersault or do I do the like uh, Fosbury flop over over them? Wait, so you're gonna kind of come in from the side and then kind of like arch yourself hurdle, over yeah. and then just land full on on the ground on the other side. That's gonna be the painful bit. Six foot down on <laughs> for 30 fences. Yeah. That one's gonna hurt. The one that's got the the groove underneath that goes straight down. Oh man, well, I think that that about wraps it up. <laughs> I think that wraps up the podcast. I don't think I need to say any more. I don't think I've got any more to say until this happens. I agree. All right, boys. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.